Hi, I'm Rob Knight, the host of Your Itinerary for Travel and Photography. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and use the promo code TWIP. This episode is brought to you by Nicolzi.com and her newest product release, 2-Minute Lightroom Tips. You can get it now at twip.pro slash Lightroom and use the code TWIP20 for 20% off. That's twip.pro slash Lightroom and use the code TWIP20 for 20% off. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by the brand new TWIP School. You can check it out at school.thisweekinphoto.com. This is TWIP, episode 479, Smoke and Mirrors. Rumors are heating up about a new camera that may be coming out of the Canon DSLR machine. If the rumors are correct, the eagerly anticipated 5D Mark IV is set to replace its predecessor with innovative new features like Pixel Dual Raw, a feature that may allow photographers to adjust focus in post. Also, GoPro is now shipping its 360-degree, 6-Hero 4-carrying omnidirectional video rig. You might remember us talking about this product in a previous episode. Well, it's available now, but are you ready for it? And Visco announces the launch of its new Open Studio, a free-to-use studio space in New York City. It's Monday, August 22nd, 2016, and this is TWIP. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Lots of interesting things to discuss and poke fun at today on the show <laughs> and joining me joining me to do that see i'm leading the witness again uh joining me to do that is mr juan pons from our very popular alpha mirrorless podcast and joseph linaski from our also very popular twip apps show and photojoseph.com hey guys welcome to the show thank you hey, thank you how you guys doing I'm doing good. You know, we we were sitting in the green room, green room before I started recording, <laughs> and I just realized that you guys had not, you guys haven't met each we other. This not. is your first time. Yeah. You're on the same network. How can you not? And you're both photographers. How can you not know each other? It's a big world, Frederick. Well, because you hadn't introduced us. That's why it we is, are waiting for you to the the honors. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm the matchmaker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, gentlemen. Well, what what have you been up to, man? You've been uh, you've been teaching stuff, running around the world. Any big trips? Not well, not really. I you know I typically take the summers off to spend with my son, so that's what I've been doing. We've been going out camping. We've been out actually. We just went white water rafting the other day. So nice. Nice. Um, yeah, the summers are you know just to chill out. You know, uh, take it easy because the rest of the year I'm going like gangbusters. I'm about to leave with our friend Rick Salmon on a workshop in a couple of weeks, and uh, from there it just it's nonstop until I think June of next year. So, um, so the summers are well deserved rest. Very nice. Where's that workshop with Rick? The one I'm doing with Rick is in uh, Yellowstone and Grand Tetons. Ooh, cool. Ah, Frederick's falling apart, and he's gone. One, the show's up to you and me, buddy. Oh. It shows up to, to you and I. <laughs> that is. So tell me more about this Grand Teton trip. That sounds incredible. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been I've been doing workshops on Yellowstone and Grand Tetons for over about fourteen years or so. Um, so it's one of my favorite places in the world to do it. And um, you know, I'll do those usually by myself. But this time, I'm going to be uh, I'm teaming up with my friend Rick Salmon, and uh, we're doing a, both combined Yellowstone and Grand Tetons in the fall. Which you is, guys there? Which Can is always a lot of fun. 
That's great. Uh, Rick's such a cool guy. That'll be fun. Yeah, hey, look at that. Frederick's back. I'm back. No, I'm good. Back. Don't worry, buddy. We took, we took care of the show without you. No worries. Well, right. good. Well, are you, <laughs> and you it's guys? a wrap. We just finished up while you were gone. It's yeah. all set. All right. Well, next week on This Week in Photo, we're gonna... <laughs> <laughs> it's probably my bandwidth. It's going to be that kind of show. It's going to be, it's Monday. You know? It's, gonna be it's Monday. Show. You're right. Right. Don't we always record on Mondays? Yeah, I know, and I don't know why I picked Monday to record a show. <laughs> I think we should Monday do it evenings. every Friday the 13th. Yeah, Monday Every evenings. Friday the 13th. Yeah. So, there Joseph, I don't know if you were saying, but uh, what, what have you been up to? Well, no, I wasn't saying. We were talking about the uh, workshop that Juan's going to be doing. No, I've been, uh, been busy shooting, been doing a bit of traveling. I mean, it's been forever since I've been on this show, so um, I just got back from a shoot with Panasonic in San Francisco, shooting a, another marketing piece for... Uh, for something new that'll be coming out soon, mm-hmm. and uh, if you were following me on social media feed, my my new assistant Ellen was doing a lot of behind the scenes posting, which was super cool. So we usually don't have that much behind the scenes action going on. It was really great to have that happen. But we were down there shooting. I was directing and DPing, and uh, we had a whole crew on hand to do the things that we do. So this new thing that you were this thing that you were shooting for Panasonic that you can't talk about. What what exactly is that again? Exactly. <laughs> and then shortly before that... Uh, I was wondering if he was uh, going to fall for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying, I'm trying so my Jedi gullible. mind trick, you know? All right, that's, that's why these companies hire me, because they know that I'm just a big old blabbermouth. Um, <laughs> before that, so, you know, we haven't talked in a while, but I, was, I did the workshop with John Stanmire, where I went as a student oh. in Tbilisi, Georgia, and that was, uh, that was incredible. That was in, uh, I guess that was July. Yeah, that was July. That was an incredible experience. And John is such a phenomenal photographer and storyteller and spending a week with him and the other students there learning from each other and learning from him was really quite the experience. It was nice to be able to go out and be on the other side of the teaching wall, as it were, and uh, and experience that. It was really fun. Yeah. I think we should all do that from time to time. Just go and yeah. be a student at these workshops and absolutely and, and absorb. And get, you know, you get you get a little numb when you're when you're teaching them all the time and you're always instructing feels good to, yeah. to like, you know, go sit in one of the chairs and, and listen and follow and learn stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It really does. And I'll, just, I'll plug his workshop. He's got another one coming up in Bali. If uh, you've got the means, it's in November. It is uh, going to be out of this world, I'm sure. I would wow. go if I wasn't so dang busy. But, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. incredible. Cool. Well, all right, guys, let's dive into the show. Story number one is uh, about Canon. So Canon is reportedly, according to Creative Live blog... Um, is reportedly bringing to the 5D Mark IV dual pixel RAW. So dual pixel RAW. And I'm happy to be doing this show because I want to know what that means, Juan Pons. <laughs> <laughs> well, know, you know. <laughs> I know you know, and you are a former Canon shooter. Yeah, You may still be a Canon shooter, I don't know. No, but, not really. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I used the Canon 5D Mark III, I, and the 5D Mark II, I love the Canon 5D Mark, IV, Mark III. Um, you know, got tired of waiting for Canon to actually come up with something. That Canon 5D Mark III, I mean, it's been f- over four years now since that camera came out, and the 5D Mark IV is not even out yet. Um, yeah. And, you know, I did not, I had not heard about this dual pixel thing, um, so I had to look it up and read about it a little bit. It's kind of interesting in what they're, at least what these blogs are claiming. And by the way, I kind of traced the source of this rumor to a, Japanese website. So this is a translation from Japanese to English. Um, So who knows how accurate the description is. But it looks like, you know, kind of bringing like Litro type things into into, uh, the Canon world where you can do some post-processing 
micro focus adjustments. So for example, you may be able to adjust the focus between the nose to the eye or whatnot within a particular scene, or you may be able to adjust the, the bokeh of the image after it's been taken. Um, well, I mean, this will be, this will be great. I think it's, it's kind of, a, it's kind of neat, but you know what? I prefer to have better image quality first. And that's the one thing that where I think Canon is sort of falling behind. And one of the reasons I actually switched to the Sony system is because, you know, you know, I used Canon for the longest time because of the image quality. And then all of a sudden we're not having this, you know, Canon hasn't done as much in uh, developing the image quality as, as companies like Sony. And that's why I jumped ship. So, I would have preferred to see Canon spend more time under image quality and maybe less on the sort of gimmicky stuff. Gimmicky stuff. I mean, it, it, it's hard to call it gimmicky because I think it's kind of cool, you mm-hmm. know, and you know me, I'm kind of a curmudgeon from that, that perspective. But um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool, but I want to see what the image quality is like. To me, as we did with the first episode of the Alpha Merlis podcast, it's all about the image quality, right? It is. It's all about. So, Joseph, is this a gimmick or is this is this is this Canon throwing down the gauntlet and saying, you know what, we're holding on to this mirror and, and we're also <laughs> we're also going to give you this dual pixel technology that's going to give you all this amazing thing, so you won't even notice the mirror is still here. Wait, what do you think? <laughs> is funny. it smoke and mirrors? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm here all week, people. I'm oh here all God. week. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I haven't, uh, I didn't know anything about this. Never heard of this before the show notes came up, so it's completely news to me. And I think it's worth pointing out this is basically speculation and rumor of the right. largest form at this point. Yeah. So this may be completely made up technology. Uh, the ability to correct focus later obviously has its advantage. No matter how good of a shooter you are, there are times where you miss focus. And if you miss focus on a critical shot, to be able to dial that in, even if it's just moving it a centimeter forward or backward to yeah. get that exact spot, that certainly has value. But what's the sacrifice? You know, you don't gain anything like that without sacrificing something. So do you shoot at one frame per second to acquire this? Do you Does your 64 gig memory card fill up after six shots? You know, what's... What's the trade-off of this? And until we know, it's hard to know whether it's a gimmick or a great feature. It certainly sounds interesting. Obviously, again, there's uh, there certainly would be times where it would be handy, but I don't know. Until you get to all the specs, it's really too hard to say. Yeah, look at looking at some of these these like you said. Just we'll we'll put brackets around this whole conversation <laughs> that it's rumor, yeah. speculation, and in, innuendo, right? So who knows what's what's real and what's not real? But looking at these specs, the raw file size from this alleged 5D Mark IV DSLR, um, thirty six point eight megabytes. Uh, the raw file size, DP raw sixty six point nine megabytes for that file. Uh, MRAW, 27.7, SRAW, 18.9 megabyte file. So for that 66.9, let's just call it 67. For that 67 megabyte file, it is its dimensions would be 6270 by 4480. So it's 28 megapixels thereabout, you know, almost 29 20, megapixels. Roughly 28, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, for both of you guys, does this, is, let's just make the assumption that this is true. If this is a true... These are some of the specs of this new uh, 5D Mark IV. Would this, Joseph, would this pry you away from Lumix? And Juan, would this pry you away from Sony and woo you back into the DSLR world? Joseph, you go first. No, I, I'm pretty good at focusing. <laughs> <laughs> Manage. <laughs> 
Yeah. Or let me put it. Let me put it this way. My Lumix camera is always nail focused. I don't need to fix it. Oh, oh ouch, boom! Ouch, ouch. Look at that. This is for people that can't focus and need to fix it in post. Uh, well, then I no, take it on, you clearly. don't shoot raw either, then Joseph. Do you? Oh. oh, of course not. I would never These shoot raw. Why would I shoot man. raw? <laughs> no, I think obviously there are times where you can't control it. Sports would be a critical, a, you know, great position for that to be able to adjust the focus you've got a bunch of athletes on the field you're shooting they're moving fast the best camera in the world can't track every single person on the field perfectly right um if you can yeah if you get that killer shot but the ball's in the right spot it's like oh my god everything on this shot is so perfect but oh the key player is just a little bit out of focus obviously that'd be incredible to be able to refocus that yeah yeah Yeah, but those uh, those issues are like you said, those are niche for the most part, right? Sure. So there's there's a small well, group of people that, yes, this feature is what I've been waiting for. It's going to change the way that I shoot. I love it. Thank you. And they're going to buy their money, spend their money to buy it. Juan Pons, are you going to you going to ditch your your Sony Alpha? And are we going to change the name to, of the show now to something else? <laughs> <laughs> Canon Mirrorful? No, um, <laughs> Mirrorful. Uh, Mirrorful. Smoking um, mirrors, baby. Smoking yeah, mirrors. mirrors. No, well, you know, like again, you know, for me, image quality is paramount. But there's a lot of other things that the mirrorless give you besides the image quality, too. The things that, you know, I've gotten so used to nowadays that I can't imagine going back to these bulky, mirror-full cameras as we were just talking about. Um, recently, I held in my hand a, a, a 7D Mark II, and I held that thing. I'm like, oh, my God, this thing's a monster. You know how bulky and big it is. It almost felt kludgy. Whereas, you know, where, you know, I guess I'm just, just it's obviously is what you get used to. With the smaller cameras, I feel a lot more adept. I feel like, you know, these cameras are much more lightweight. Yeah. Um, you know, everything is, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It just feels like uh, a better system for me. Um, and this is after a short while. Remember, I shot Canon for, you know, 15 years. Um, and I've only been shooting uh, Sony now for a little over a year. So, wow. um, I, I mean, I, I don't – I mean, again, what to me the proof in the pudding is the image quality. Let's look at the image quality and then let's consider all the other factors that are in there, whether it's these gimmicks or these additional uh, options. You know, one thing that I do give um, a props to Canon and, and Nikon from that perspective that we're not seeing in the, in the Sony because the Sony system is definitely not perfect no matter – no matter what I say on the podcast, on the Alpha Realist podcast, it's not perfect, by the way, guys. Um, you know, the fact well, that you I have know, I got two words for you on that. <laughs> two words. Operating system. Well, yeah. Well, that is one. You know, the menu system. Yeah, we, we I, just about every show we complain about it. So, yeah. But yeah. I actually just heard a rumor recently that there may be an updated system. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, they do give you options here in file sizes. That's one of the big pet peeves that I have with the Sony system is that, yeah, I can only shoot at 43 megapixels when I'm shooting with the 7D or with the A7R too. So, for example, when I'm shooting, um, uh, what you might call it, time lapses, I don't need 43 megapixel files mm. to shoot a time lapse. Um, so, I wish I could choose smaller raw file sizes like you can with the Canons and the Sony. So, yeah, but hey, uh, sorry, Canon and Nikon's. I mean, I mean the, the A7. How old is that series now? At like two years. Right, barely well, two years old. Two years and, old, but there's two versions of that camera already. Right, I mean, it launched with two versions, so right. it, it launched with. No, the no, A7 we're, the we're A7. In, gen, in second generation. There's three versions of the camera in second generation. Oh, right. Right, right, there's Mark in two, two in two years versus it's taken Canon over four years to a, to upgrade the five D Mark, the five D camera. 
to what we're talking about today. That's a long time. Hypothetically. 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 Four years, man. Four years. Over four years. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I mean, that, that's, that's an eternity in, in technology. That's eternity in anything, right? That's enough time for, you know, your, yeah. your kid to, to be born, for you to make the kid, for it to be born, and that's for right. it to be, like, building stuff in the backyard. I mean, <laughs> You're right. I mean, he would be walking and running and tearing things apart in your house by now. Yeah, and they can't, you can't make a different camera body. So, yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, hmm. So I think I think this is a short story. I think uh, this this is hypothetical. If it is true, it might be too little for at least for the people that have already made the jump over. But some of the you know I don't I don't want to throw gasoline on this innuendo fire. But you know some of the the features that they're talking about is built-in Wi-Fi and GPS, 4K, larger sensor which means lower, better low-light performance and all that stuff. So, and then that, that dual-pixel thing, which would allow photographers to adjust the focus to some degree in post. So none of those things makes me interested in, in switching. None of those is like, oh, crap, okay, i got to drop everything I have. I'm leaving, and I'm going right. to go jump into this Canon camera. However, for people that are already in the Canon camp, and like you said, their their 5D Mark III is long in the tooth, and it's you know they got duct tape on it, keeping it together. This makes sense. <laughs> well, right? it, it it almost allows them to catch up to us, almost. Yeah, but does it? That, that's a good question. So I was just about to leave this, but that's a good question. So if Canon if Canon is putting this body out to satisfy the people that are like, hey, dude, come on, I need to upgrade my camera. It's been too long. It's falling apart. And if you don't upgrade this camera. I'm going over to Sony, Panasonic, Fuji, Olympus, whoever. Right. Are these features enough to woo them to stay with the Canon brand? Or is this are those 5D users prime candidates for a move over to some other camera system? What do you think, Juan? Well, I'm, I, I really think that um, uh, Canon and Nikon are really resting on their laurels, are re- resting on their past successes, and they're not making enough um, you know, they're not putting too much, enough innovation out there to keep people like ourselves that are trying to push the envelope. Yes, the people who are really vested into the system, they don't want to change, they're used to Canon, those people are going to stay there until, you know, they fry those mirrorful cameras out of their dead cold hands, right? <laughs> um, but I, I honestly, I don't think it's enough for people who are looking for new things. You know, yes, I'm glad that they have built-in GPS now. That's kind of nice. They're just entering now the 4K space. Come on. I mean, these yeah. guys, this, these are the guys that came up with a 5D Mark II, the camera yeah. that revolutionized, you know, high definition video shooting, right? And yeah. now they're falling yeah. behind on this stuff. Whereas, you know, all these, all these other um, uh, camera manufacturers are coming up with cameras that have 4K, 8K, or whatnot. Yeah, um, Canon, Canon and, and Vincent LaFerre basically pioneered the idea yes. that you could you can shoot high quality video and have the background be out of focus <laughs> <laughs> well, for for a reasonable amount of money yes. for a reasonable you don't have to pay thousands of dollars to throw hundreds the background of thousands out of, of focus. dollars right hundreds right, of right. thousands yes yeah. Yeah. yeah bokeh is now in the reach of everyone that's right that's shooting video right <laughs> <laughs> oh i love it joseph what about you do you think is this is this part of Canon's plan. I mean, it sounds obvious in retrospect, even as I say the words. But part of Canon's plans to keep those those Mark III users in the family while they work on something else, maybe, or is it this is you know is this the Jack Nicholson? Is this as good as it gets? <laughs> no, I mean, these companies are always coming out with 
you know, amazing new things. But I think to the point, to one's point, it's it's just taking them so long. It's kind of crazy the, yeah. the the amount of time that cannon shooters have had to wait for something new. And you know, go back a decade, and we all waited. How how long was the Nikon F four around? And that was mm-hmm. that had like a ten to fifteen year life, right? Mm-hmm. We have some possibly ridiculous expectations of companies to come out with new tech on a regular basis. I mean, look at what we expect out of Apple. You know, every every year we expect a new iPhone. We expect it to be the second coming. Yeah. And when it isn't, people get really pissed off and upset about it. It's like, well, come on. You know, we can't always, always have that unbelievable new feature. So this is, if this is all true, if everything we're talking about today is true, then they're the first to do it. Then, yeah, that's that's a pretty awesome feature. It's pretty fantastic, and it will definitely make a lot of people very happy, and I'm sure it will make some converts out of it. But it, again, until we know it for sure, it's all just speculation. Yeah, yeah. All right. And on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how VR technology is continuing to gain momentum in the marketplace as GoPro prepares to start selling their six camera Omni <laughs> VR rig this month. I know Juan has some thoughts on this. Twip regular Nicole Young has released an amazing collection of bite-sized Lightroom training tutorials. Nicole covers the very best tips and tricks inside of Adobe Lightroom CC. Each lesson is about one to four minutes long, and each focuses on one key feature in Lightroom. Nicole has created these videos to save you time by getting to the point and teaching you only what you need to know without excessive talk. So whether you're brand new to Lightroom or you've been using it for some time, this course will help you become a Lightroom expert in bite-sized two-minute lessons. Check it out today at twip.pro slash Lightroom. That's twip.pro slash Lightroom. And use the code TWIP20 for 20% off. All right, guys, we are back this month as we record this. We are in the month of August, so maybe September. At some point within the next several days, GoPro is going to start selling their six-camera Omni VR rig. If you guys remember, we the listeners, we did a show a while back where we talked about this rig and essentially what it is, it's like, uh, it's a cube, you know, it's a rig with a cube that you can put a GoPro camera into each of the six sides of the cube so that, you know, you can create, you can capture all directions at once and through software, stitch them together, thereby creating a bubble, a VR bubble that then can be viewed and yada, 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 yada. So that's, that's the basis of it. Um, the next piece of it is oh August seventeenth is the release date. Oh, it's already out. So yeah, so. it's already just came out. Yeah, <laughs> it's already out. We're past August seventeenth. It's August twenty two as we recorded. <laughs> so this is on the market now. Okay, so basically for five thousand dollars you can get this rig uh, with you know all this stuff together. But if you just want if with all the cameras in there, if you want just the rig, which is essentially some plastic. Um, it's going to cost you $1,500. And I'm assuming that it's plastic. It may be metal or something. I don't know. But it is a cage that holds a bunch of cameras, a bunch of little GoPro cameras, and points them precision, with precision in the in six directions. For $1,500, you can have that. For $5,000, you can get that and the rig. Joseph, you got all kinds of cameras over there. You shoot all kinds of content. You know, you know your do. way around VR, you know, R, and all the others. <laughs> <laughs> There will be no F- R in the show. P M R R is overrated. R R is overrated. well, it's, it's rated. Okay, so five thousand dollars sounds like a lot of money. Yes, it and does. it is yes. a lot of money if you consider that it's a bunch of GoPros in a plastic cage um, that looks like something you could print on your three D printer at home. But it's also about ten percent of the price of the Nokia Ozo, which is also a three hundred sixty degree camera. Yes, 
$45,000 camera. So, yeah, but these prices are, I'm sorry, I got I got to call foul on that. Just because <laughs> someone, that's like me entering the market and I made something in my house here and I said, you know what? I, you know, this little thing I just got on Amazon, it's a headphone holder for my desk. I'm like, I'm going to price this thing at $2,200. <laughs> and then I'm going to make one that only holds one headphone, and that's going to be a bargain at you know $1,100. <laughs> but if the competition is selling at 10 times the price, then it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the market, right? that doesn't right? make it worth it, though. I mean, does that make it... Like, well, well, okay. well, the market is who's going to buy it, not who's going to make it, right? If there's somebody right. that's willing to pay the money... Yeah, then there's who, a market. Who would buy this? Well, clearly who? there are. There's people that are willing to pay 45000 for the Nokia Ozo. So if that's the case, then there's definitely people that will spend $5,000 on this. Yeah. No question. I know someone that has multiple Ozos, by the way. Yeah, we know who you're talking about. Alex Lindsay. <laughs> I'm calling you out. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Insanity. Insanity. I don't know. I mean, I VR is important. Uh, but for me, I think right now I need something that's maybe – twice as good as my uh my theta s my rico theta s the rico theta s is great you know for stills and video looks like you know one step above partially digested mashed potatoes but beyond that <laughs> beyond that it is good and it's a good proof of concept i need something slightly better than that like if that's my point and shoot camera i need something that's my you know my mirrorless camera. I need something that's that's got decent quality. I don't need all the headache. I just I look at I'm looking at the rig now. Oh my god! And I I can't. Part of the part of the allure of the Theta S is that you get a file out of there, you run it through some software, and you upload it, or you do some editing on it, and you upload it. This thing seems like a whole heck of a lot of overhead in terms of post production storage. Things to go wrong, charging six cameras, making sure six cameras have properly formatted formatted memory cards in them. Nothing gets <laughs> corrupted. Did you start all the cameras simultaneously? All the <laughs> it seems. Well, I mean, like- the user interface on the user interface on the GoPros is horrid. I mean, even the newer ones. You know, I I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm with you, Frederick. I think this would be a nightmare to use. Yeah, yeah. It would it, this. And again, I haven't played with this yet. I want to play with it, but uh, I'm looking at it and I'm getting shivers, and I'm, feel, I'm feeling like, <laughs> especially if you're on a gig, like Joseph, can you, you're on a paid gig. You have a client, and your client is like, "Yeah, we need these video. We need we need 24 360 degree videos by the end of next week, edited and ready to post <laughs> online." Are you going to use this? <laughs> well, if the budget doesn't, if the budget isn't high enough to hire Alex to come along with his three Ozos and the trailer full of CPUs that are required to process those things, I think they also then, come with a humanoid carbon-based life form to operate. So. That is not included. The battery is not included, my friend. Now, it's like you said, you you need. It was your words. You said you need something that's about twice as good as what you have now. Yes, that's you. Yeah. Right. This is clearly not targeted for you. This right. is this is targeted for somebody else who needs. 360 and doesn't have the $45,000 per unit plus the trailer full of CPUs required and the manpower and man knowledge required to run something like the Ozo. Yeah. So it's a it's a massive, massive price cut from what we've seen. It may still seem ridiculous because it's not the kind of thing that we shop for, but it is, assuming it works, assuming it works and it gives you the quality of an image that you'd expect out of it, which will be good, not phenomenal. It is GoPros after all. Um, then you know what? It's a bargain. Why wouldn't GoPro? I mean, GoPro. We've talked about them on on other shows and and their woes in terms of the declining 
sales because once you get one of these, it's not like you got to go buy one every year, right? You kind of get it's a market that gets saturated quickly. But armchair quarterbacking, why wouldn't they just make a proper 360 camera? Like, uh, you know, looking at the Ozo and looking at the the Theta and saying, okay, let's build something that's way better than the Theta, but not quite as you know, Optimus Prime as the Ozo, and we'll come right in the middle, we'll price it at five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars and we'll call it the GoPro three sixty or something. Why why not do that? Probably why do it if you don't need to, if you if your hardware can do it with a little bit of modification. I mean the the Theta is two hundred and eighty degree cameras back to back. The Ozo is I think six, it might be more cameras. So it's very similar to this type of idea. It's a bunch of cameras and a bunch of microphones pointing in different directions. So yeah. that's more – that's what the Ozo is. It's more like this than it is like the Theta. The Theta's quality. I mean it's – like you said, it's half-digested mashed potatoes. It's pretty pretty mushy. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. No question. It's cool. But it's pretty mushy looking. You're not going to – it's not pro quality by any stretch. It's a toy. Yeah. So this – you know, the, the GoPro cameras, it's – it's you know, even shooting, shooting HD or shooting 4K, this is no – big 4k camera this is no red camera this is no canon 4k it's no lumix 4k camera but you know what the image quality is pretty darn good especially in daylight so you take six of those you stitch them together it's probably gonna be a pretty darn good image yeah but that's that's the part where you you lose me at right there it's like because hey, you roll right over it yeah you take 60 things put together stitch them together but like <laughs> we don't I said, know what kind of software it's going to come with either we don't know what it's got to make that easier or even not. Yeah, but it's getting up to that software point you still have six independent memory cards six independent batteries six independent six chances at least for things to go wrong that you have to get it right or else you don't have a shot it's not like oh one of them didn't work we have five more one of them doesn't work five thousand dollars yeah one of them doesn't work they're all gone and then if you're doing but hang on if you're if you're doing a professional job with this it's not like you can show up with one of these you gotta show up with two (laughs) so you need sure you gotta have redundancy or else you're you're not a pro at that point right so that's ten thousand dollars spent instead of ninety thousand dollars spent yeah well i mean yeah but but frederick i guess to be fair because i'm with you but i guess to be fair we don't really understand how these work it could be that these uh, gopros interface to the center part of this cube and for all intents and purposes they interface back to a computer as one device we're not necessarily dealing with six individual devices looking at it it does seem like it's six individual cameras that you got to turn on and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, that would be crazy when you think about it. Like you said, six batteries to put in. You know how hard it is to take those little batteries in and out of the, <laughs> of the GoPro? They're a pain in the pot. Yeah, you, know, you need tweezers and, yeah, and a I loop know. and everything. <laughs> well, let me, let me read this paragraph. Um, and we're reading this from Digital Rev. Okay, with each rig... Um, wait, right, let's see, see? Here Okay, with this they, rig, each camera connects to a central brain... Meaning you only need one remote to control them all. Okay, so we don't have to press five buttons. That's great. Uh, This will not only help with compositing footage together, but also in editing. Unfortunately, you still need to manually pop the six micro SD cards in and out of the rig for Mm. file transfers. That's file transfers. But the importer tool syncs the footage together to save you a lot of time compiling. The Omni records 8K resolution. So the footage will be impressive, though good luck with editing 8K footage on anything other than a powerhouse PC. GoPro has included software tailored for virtual reality content, which includes plugins for Adobe Premiere Pro. Now, now, so you're right. This is a ghetto, ghetto rig, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's something cobbled together. Um, and you still have to pay $5,000 for it? I don't understand it. What A GoPro Black is what, 500 bucks each? Yeah. 
times yeah, six, like that's that. three grand. Where's the, the other two grand going? Right. Well, it's fifteen hundred for the cage itself. If you just want that, if you already have the cameras, but, but you think but this it would says be cheaper include... as a bundle? Then not the same price or more expensive than getting the individual well, the parts. Oh, I think it software. says it lacks some of the equipment in the software license. Yeah. Software money costs money. Still, too. I mean, it's 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 it. The five thousand dollars, at least to me, gets getting so close to just being able to buy the individual pieces. It should be three thousand dollars, not five thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just do if you do a search on Google for 360 degree camera or, you know, whatever, there's like even in the past week, I've gotten I think at least two the past two weeks, I've gotten two Kickstarter or Indiegogo, whatever requests <laughs> about cameras that like one looks like a triangle, one looks like a bubble. You know, there's all these different 360 degree cameras coming out that do certain things. Even Nikon has their key mission 360 rumored that it has been rumored See, for over rumors, a year now rumors. right uh, when last time you bought something on indiegogo or kickstarter how long did it take before you actually got it i'm still waiting no no my my uh my peak design bag i got that so that was true that, that was is true that did there's some things some things that too. come quickly some things do not yeah yeah Oof. i bought a coffee maker two years ago i'm still waiting for it <laughs> <laughs> but you know what you paid for? You paid for all those update emails they send you telling you how hard they're working on it. Seriously, right? So, no, so, but, you so, know, Kickstarter's uh, – I don't want to poo-poo Kickstarter, but like this – you know, something like this. I don't no, know. No, not at all. No, but I'm just saying you're you're talking about all these things that are showing up in Kickstarter. This thing could show up in your uh, Amazon mailbox tomorrow. Yeah. So yeah. I, I got a question for both of you guys. So is VR video going the same way as 3D TVs? I hope so. <laughs> VR video. I don't think I just, so. I got to disagree. I mean, 3D TVs. I mean, do you hear about those anymore? For a I while, have one in my you one, get away I have, I have one. I have a 3D TV in my bedroom. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> However, I was going through I'm gonna, some boxes. I'm going to refrain. I'm going to refrain. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Hey, I'm a grown man. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I was going, I was going through some boxes the other day, and I found the glasses. No, oh my god! Jeez, that's how much I use it. I think I used the 3D feature of that TV once when I got it. And I'm like, oh, oh let's check this out. Yeah. yeah, one time, one time. Yeah, yeah no, that's but what I, mean, I so. but 360. I think, I think 360. Let's 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 use the right terminology here. So VR is virtual reality. That's, you know, you've got VR, which is virtual reality, which I think is 3D generated environments that you put your helmet on, you get in, you feel like you're there. This is 360 degree video, which creates a bubble or 360 degree photo or video, which creates a bubble around the viewer that you can relive the scene in. It's not like you can interact with it. And then there's augmented VR, which looks at, the reality of the world right. and then places things in real time on there. So right. that's that that's the difference. But I think I think three sixty degree video has legs. I think and stills. I think is if we what these kinds of technologies I think is missing is just the the storytelling piece. We don't have everything we see with these is generally a concept. You know, it's a hey, look at this new technology and what I can do with it. There's never like there's no, we never see anything that the the technology is secondary to the story. It's always here's some technology. Let me show you how cool it works by doing A, B, and C with right. it. It's never like let me. There's a new way to tell a story in 360. I'm going to use this particular tool to tell that story. I think that's that's where it's kind of hicked up, hiccuped right now. Well, I think these companies come out with incredible technology, and it's up to us, the end users, to figure out how to use it. 
And sure, they may be able to say, make some suggestions, but they're never going to figure everything out until you get it out to the mass users and they can start doing incredible things with it. And they do things that you never even thought that people would do with it. That's when it gets interesting. And 360 video or VR or AR, all these things are still quite young. I mean, 360 video has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily new, but the ability to to tell a story through that, like you're saying, uh, it has its home. It certainly has its places. I wouldn't want to go to see you know, the next uh, Lord of the Rings movie in 360 VR. That's just – that's too – to me, that's too much. Right. I, I don't want to have to be spinning around trying to figure out where to look. Right. But for something like education – you know, if you're you're going to take a tour through, walk through the land of the dinosaurs and be able to turn around and see all this stuff happening around you, that's really cool. That's a very interesting, mm-hmm. immersive way to educate. Yep. So I think education is a huge place for this, but yep. I haven't seen much happening there. But it would be an amazing place right. for it to get you right. hit it but right I on the head. Like imagine, imagine physicians learning about some procedure and they're doing a tour – inside a virtual human body and they're looking around sure. virtually like oh what's that and being able to interact with things in there that would that would be crazy to be okay i'm gonna place a little a little devil's advocate here now we have Uh-oh. hollywood who has spent billions of dollars right on trying to develop the 3d technology and the 3d tv is still not taken off mm-hmm. and you guys are talking about the educational market and you know maybe you know i don't know medical market trying to make this a reality that they don't even have a, a, a fraction of the resources or money that Hollywood spends on this stuff. Yeah, but um, Hollywood, Hollywood with their 3D stuff, you're stuck in the theater or in your living room and it's a one way experience. It's not yeah. interactive. This stuff three with this, this 3D 360 degree video or whatever, you can consume it on any presumably any screen you have from your living room to your phone, to your tablet, to your computer, it could be wherever wherever it makes sense to do it. It's not like, and you don't need anything else to look at it with the 360 or with the with the VR stuff or the the 3D TV stuff. It's it's limiting factor was I had you had to put those glasses on and you had to charge them up to make sure they work. And then there was only like a thumbnails worth of content out there for you to look at, and most of that looked like crap anyway. And so you had to find that, a box that the, the glasses were in too, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you look like an idiot sitting there trying to watch TV. You know, so this with with three sixty, it's just you know come as you are. It just you know it's just there. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still skeptical. I don't I you know, I think the I think it's a nice gimmick. I think people get tired of it pretty quickly. You know, you play with it for a while. People like to be guided when they're being told a story, right? And mm-hmm. if you have to start looking around if, like like Joseph just said, yeah, I wouldn't want to watch Lord of the Rings on this thing. Yeah. Um because yeah. I wouldn't know what to look for, you know, what what I'm looking at. Right. People like to be guided in a story and that's I think the part that that is missing. And I and I know that there are hints that can be played in the in the 360 video to, to kind of guide the user to certain parts of the mm-hmm. video. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's still too much for most people. I think people just like to be immersed in the story and forget the the, the peripheral stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, time will tell. You know, I don't think there's any right question. And the only way that we'll see how and if people adopt this is to put it out there and, yeah. and yeah. make it easy Agreed. to consume. One of one of the Achilles heel of heel the three sixty video right now is it needs to be played in the browser, right? Which is good and bad. But the mm-hmm. bad part is 
like if you want to if you want to create a 360 video with your theta s and put it online you have to jump through a couple of hoops <laughs> then you can put it online but then there's restrictions on where it can be seen and what only on, only certain browsers can look at it right. like there's 360 degree video on YouTube today that will play in the player but only if you're in Fire, Firefox or Chrome if you're a Safari user or you're on mobile on one of those browsers you're just going to see distorted video which is you know that's just a sign of early technology hmm. So, or but also, Apple. how much fun is it? How much fun is it to look to look at 360 video on a static screen in front of you and have to use your mouse to pan through it? Right. Yeah. It's, when it's you not. can pick up your iPhone and even if you're not wearing goggles, just pick up your phone and hold it in front of you on YouTube, which you can do today, and it's playing video. And as you move that camera up and down and left and right, the, it follows the video. That is cool. Again, it's a gimmick. It's not the kind of thing you're going to watch any feature length film doing, but. It is cool and it does work. And yeah, that's, Juan, that's a way better experience than the desktop. You got to play with it, Juan, because I I had I think a watershed kind of epiphany moment when I got back there. I have Google Glass. They're not Google Glass. The Google Cardboard uh-huh. sitting back there. The opposite of Google Glass. <laughs> Small price yeah, yeah, Google Glass. Are you bringing it's the that opposite. Back? It's are we, the opposite. Was it 1980s again? <laughs> Actually, the cardboard is probably worth about the same amount as Google Glass. Right now. <laughs> it is way cooler. It is way cooler. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I I used the Theta S and I created a 360 degree video in my living room. You know, standing in the middle of my living room, uh-huh. just took a shot, and I was just testing it. And then I uploaded it privately to YouTube. I put those on, those those uh, the Google Cardboard on, and I was sitting just looking around. And in your living it room. Felt, in my living room. <laughs> and I was stand. it was weird. This is the weirdest thing. I was standing about three feet away from where I took the photo while I was looking around. And it was, it was disorienting because I really felt like I was in my living room. But I wasn't in the spot where I was looking around in. It was it was like Twilight Zone. And mm. like I was thinking, like those kinds of things I think are really cool that you can do that. And then I was thinking I was thinking in preparation for the show, like in the future, and I've said things like this on the show before, in the future, wouldn't it be cool if we this this VR telepresence type technology became integral to our society where what is that, Joseph? Where? Sorry. Are Sorry. you speaking in Go tongues ahead. over there? Continue. Continue. I'll unplug this. Where? My bad. Where? Where? I, was, I was pulling something up to talk about it. I didn't realize it was start. I thought, so I thought you were speaking in tongues. I didn't know you had that power. Um, but no, but I was thinking like if you had a dedicated room with a secure bulletproof connection to your physician where your physician could give you remote therapy and you could be wherever you are, you get therapy or consultations and you could literally sit in the room with a doctor and how you know the doctor's looking at you and your vitals are hovering above your head and your your chart is right there and you can explain how you're feeling and you know all that stuff why do you need to unless they need to touch you for some reason why do you need to physically go into the office or go to a job interview or you know whatever you know all there's there's a ton of there's a list of things that could happen with you sitting in your your nice secure room and a doctor somewhere in France or wherever where you're having a conversation with, and it's just like you're in the same spot. That's where I think this stuff comes into play, not just entertainment. I think there's, you know, not just entertainment and education, but also these kind of practical uses where you don't want to be in the same spot where you, the other person is. And, and I think you're right. I think that the the scenarios that we can't think of right now, the ones that we, you know, typically would, you know, would come up are probably the best hope for this technology. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, and I think you're right. I think the, the the need that we haven't even perceived yet. I wish we still had, we still had Steve Jobs because he would tell us 
where, you know, he was <laughs> he was good at finding out, you know, what we needed before we thought we knew we needed. Yeah, and then selling it to us. Yep, right, absolutely. and then selling it to us. Right, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, no, I I can't tell you how much I miss that man. Um, all right, guys, let's move on to this next story. Story number three is about Visco or V S C O. You guys know that? Yeah, app. I've never heard it pronounced, so that's good. Uh, yeah, now Visco. I know it's pronounced Visco. I know. Don't hold me to it. I just heard other people say <laughs> it. It may be you know a game of telephone. Um, but Visco or VSCO has opened a free to use studio in New York. Uh, it's called Open Studio. It's a massive studio space in the city, and uh, it's located in New York City's Nomad in Nomad District, which I would assume north of Madison Avenue um, District. And uh, basically, they're just they're making the space available. It's got a psych in there. It's got you know infinity background photos, all kinds of stuff in there for people to go in and use joseph lanaski you've rented studios before you own a studio is mm-hmm. this is this a good move is this fun or is this uh this again oh it's way fun it's cooler than my studio i'll tell you that much oh yeah it's uh it's it's straight out of johnny ives dreams it's all white yeah, yeah. oh this is it's beautiful i mean it's photographers always need more space than they have there's always a reason to get something bigger and better than what's available or you just don't have the budget or the regular need for a studio so to be able to rent one is always useful there's always been a market for this and to have one this size and this thing is absolutely huge it's fantastic it's the fact that it comes from visco doesn't necessarily make it any better or worse it's just another studio for rent but um, it's a beautiful space yeah it really looks nice yeah yeah i would lose it i, I would use it i love it and i like the i I agree with you on that very Apple esque design. It's like all all white, white chairs, glass tabletops, everything. You know, I bet even the food is white. It's crazy. <laughs> and, and to be a photographer, of course, you have to go in there. You see the photos of the photographers at the bottom. You have to be wearing black shirts against the white, or else you're not cool, right? So now, yeah. now the thing about this is that it's free, right? I mean, that's so it's a big promotional thing for them. Uh, you know, ultimately, what are they getting out of it? I think. Most people already know about Visco, so I don't know if they're how much they're really going to get from it. But it's uh, that's pretty sweet to be able to offer this thing up. Of course, that also means that you'll have to book it two years in advance. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know, Juan. What, what, you're you're more of a landscape shooter, right? So does this excite you at all? I think it's kind of cool. I mean, I'm I'm more like you said, more wildlife outdoor photographer. But I think it's kind of neat. I think that when you and I are in New York in October, we should head on over and book it and try to do something cool in there. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Look at that! Right, you and that I are going to be together really at the uh, Out of New York conference, and uh, maybe we should bring a bunch of people over there and just have a, a a fun time. I don't know, doing something. All right, yeah, I don't know. Good luck with that, guys. It says due to the volume of applicants, we're no longer accepting requests. Oh, geez. Yeah, but, <laughs> hey, but Joseph, this it's is you. That's right. This is twelve. <laughs> <laughs> just say it. You know, I'm just saying. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's uh, that's interesting. I think we should do we should plan on something like that one. That could be uh, that could be fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's kind of neat. I think it's cool that they're, you know, they're giving back uh, to the community. I mean, th- these guys have, you know, obviously have done really well with their apps on uh, on the mobile devices. So it's kind of cool to see that they're doing something to give back, as opposed to a lot of other companies that you know that don't. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, one of the other ones that I wanted to touch base on is one that I tried out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, have you guys heard of this service called Breather? Uh, I just Only I found because out you from told you. Me about it. It looks yeah, cool. 
It is is crazy. So the deal is I was looking for – I had to do a little product shoot in San Francisco, and I was looking for a space to do it. And I didn't really need a giant studio, really. I just needed a conference room, you know, someplace that was convenient to the client that I could go set up and just have the space for a good couple of hours. And um, I found this this service called Breather. In fact, uh, Lisa Lisa Laporte actually turned me on to these guys because they may be coming on Twip as an advertiser soon. But she turned me on to these guys, so I'm like, you know what? Hey, let me go check them out. I need them. I need something like that, and they're in San Francisco. So I went in there. I found a space. They have, like, the gorgeous shots of the space in there. You do a little search. Tell them when you need it, how many people you're going to have, and they give you a bid. Or not a bid, but they give you the price on what it's going to cost. And I think the price is essentially just based on the time of day that you're booking it for and obviously how many hours. But you get there, you download their Breather app before you get there. Uh, Once you've booked it, it tells you you have an upcoming booking. It tells you that, okay, your booking is going to go active in a certain amount of time. When it goes active, it gives you a code that you can use to unlock the door. (laughs) And then when it's time for, you know, say you booked it for three hours, at the two hour and 45 minute mark, you'll get an alert on your phone that says, hey, your time's almost up. Do you want to extend? <laughs> you say yes. If you want to extend, it will bill you for another hour or whatever you ask for. And when you're done, you say, yeah, I'm done. You check out. It's all done. You charged and it's cheap. The price was ridiculously cheap. It was like um, I think I paid you know just over $100 for a couple hours in this place and i had several clients in there i brought you know a ton of photo gear we did the shoot it was in and out and it was like it was my space you know it was my space for that amount of time and i felt like a hero so yeah i think i think these kind of services this service with breather you know the the visco you know, open studio these are in a lot of ways i think kind of a direction where things are going kind of like the uber of photography instead of owning a car with uber or owning a studio space like Joseph Lenashki, would you just would you need a space? You just dial up and say, "Hey, I need a space to do X, Y, Z," and you show up. Obviously, there's pluses and minuses to not owning, but if you can't, this seems ideal. What do you, what do you think, Juan? Well, this is great. I'm looking at sites um, around the, around the Boston area, and there's some incredibly beautiful sites that would be really useful to meet, like you said, meet clients or or um, or, or, or even hang out um, if you're trying to get a group of folks together or not. I used to live in Boston for many years, so I have lots of friends in the Boston area. And they're very, you know, very reasonable locations and beautiful locations as well. So this looks really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking I was thinking of doing a TWIP, um, like a, a, a mini meetup group, or maybe even just a regular meetup group, but, but definitely a small mastermind-style meetup group, maybe once a month where you have like half a dozen people you know come hang out and you know go meet talk photography do some demonstrations and then go dinner go to dinner after that and drinks or whatever like one of these would be ideal to do something like that in well you know i mean that's this you know as someone who goes out to a lot of places around the country and around the world teaching photography um sometimes it's challenging believe it or not trying to find a location to hold a meeting um you know because again, I'm, I'm an outdoor wildlife and nature um, and landscape photographer. Sometimes we want to go back and meet up at a, a, at a at a meeting place to actually hold some classroom sessions. Um, and in the past, it's been actually really difficult in certain locations to find a meeting place that is conducive to getting a few people together with computers and uh, and hold a classroom type session. So. I'm going to be bookmarking the site and uh, using it in the future. It looks pretty cool. 
Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Joseph, would you use something like this? I mean, like if you want to do a absolutely. workshop or something when you're on the road? Yeah, absolutely. Or you're just shooting for a client in, in a remote city, not at home, and you need a studio. This is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, or you just need some place to meet. You know, if you just want to meet, right? Yeah, even with a bunch just of place to meet. Yeah, I was going through the you know find workspaces in, and then it asks you what do you need to do. And there's even private workspace. Like I just need, I need somewhere to go work. My hotel isn't good enough. Uh, maybe the Wi-Fi sucks, or just the hotel is not comfortable. I want somewhere where I can go get some work done for a day. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, cool. I like the way where this stuff is going. It, it, like I said, it reminds me of like uh, Airbnb for for you know meeting spaces and shoots and whatever airbnb for business or something i don't know it's cool i'm a fan yeah this is cool very cool all right guys we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we're gonna take a question from one of our listeners i'd like to formally invite you to check out the brand new twip school you've learned so much from the amazing twip hosts and guests over the years now within the twip school you can continue that learning and dive deeper on a variety of photographic and business topics there are already several great courses to choose from in the school, and we will be adding new courses often. Right now, you can learn about fashion photography from Lucas Passmore, marketing for photographers with Zach Prez, and even time travel for photographers with yours truly. And to kick things off, you can check out the school today with a course that we've made available for free for a limited time only, and that's Five Habits of Highly Effective Photographers. It's an inspirational course designed to help you get more done and stay focused. So head over to the brand new TWIP school now at school.thisweekinphoto.com. That's school.thisweekinphoto.com. All right, from time to time on This Week in Photo, we take a question, a question from one of our listeners and respond to that or to feedback that has come in. We have a question this week from TWIP Army member Stuart Steffen. And Stuart Steffen says, basically he has a long question in here, which we'll put in the show notes, but the gist of it is, he says, how do you shoot fast-moving aircraft against a bright sky when the sun is sometimes in the frame? He's talking talking about uh, like shooting at an air show or something. Juan, you in the back. What do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is the same situation that I run into all the time when I'm shooting birds against birds against the sky. Right? It's exactly the same situation. Um, and there's a trick that we all use as bird photographers, wildlife photographers, um, and that is to actually because you're tracking the the bird in this case, the plane against that bright sky and the brightness of the sky may actually change a little bit as the closer you get to the sun or if you have clouds or whatnot. Typically, I would shoot that at uh, aperture priority. And believe it or not, I would then do exposure compensation about two stops plus. Because what's going to happen is if you look at your, your, your meter is going to be looking at your, your, um, your composition and the mm-hmm. sky is going to be Typically, the majority of the uh, of what's in your frame. So the camera's going to try to expose for that sky. And if it tries to expose for the sky, guess what's going to happen to the bottom of the plane to the bottom of the bird? It's going to go dark. By going plus two, what it's doing is, is giving you enough light then to be able to make out the bottom of that plane or the bottom of that bird. Because, again, the sun is above the bird or above the plane, so the top of the bird is going to be lit. The bottom is going to be in the shadow. By giving it a plus two exposure compensation, you'll be able to actually bring out some of that detail on the bottom of that plane or the bottom of that bird. 
And um, since you're shooting, you said shooting in shooting an aperture priority, which means the camera is going to pick your shutter speed. Right. And since you're shooting such a bright, bright subject, it's probably it's going to pick a fast shutter speed anyway. Exactly. Right. Okay. So that's exactly what I do. I will put it like an f five point six, so that the camera will give me the fastest shutter speed it can under those conditions, because you're going to be shooting against the sky anyways. Maybe bump it up to ISO four hundred, you know, at least. And then do a plus two exposure compensation. You'll get really nice exposure on the bottom of those planes or the bottom of those birds. I love it. Aperture priority plus two, dial in plus two. That's it. That's We're it. Done. It's as easy as that. That's that's what we, that's what I teach when I uh, when I do bird photography workshops when we're shooting birds against the sky. Done, Joseph. You have anything to add to that? I will add one thing because he's talking about sometimes having a hard time finding the plane when you're zoomed in all the way. His mm-hmm. equipment. He's got a 300 millimeter lens on a crop factor lens, so it's get up to 450 mil. And if you are shooting, looking through the lens with one eye and the other eye closed, it can be very, very hard to find what you're trying to shoot, especially if it's a little plane in the sky that is moving at 500 miles an hour, whatever the heck these things are flying at. You got to learn to shoot with both eyes open. You put one eye up to the viewfinder, so that'd be your right eye up to the viewfinder. You're looking through there and you're seeing the zoomed in image and then keep your left eye open so that you can see the whole sky with your massively wide vision of the human eye. And with those things together, it takes a little getting used to, but those things together, you can much more quickly find the target, find that plane that you want to shoot at and uh, and just get right on it and follow it and track it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's great, great advice for people like me. I'm actually, believe it or not, even though I'm right-handed, I'm left eye dominant, so I shoot with my left eye. I cannot open, keep my eye open while I'm shooting. It's it's kind of weird. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, so it, sometimes it's difficult in those kind of situations. So I agree with you. If he has a zoom, typically what I would do in those situations is actually zoom in, zoom out, so that you're shooting at wide angle, so it's easy to find. And when you find the bird that you're trying to photograph, then zoom back in. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. to bring it into focus. Um, so for some of us, you know, for example, like I said, I, it's weird. I don't know why I'm that way, but I'm left eye dominant, so I always look through my left eye. What about, yeah, what about shooting with the, the LCD? Fast, does, it, does it make sense to shoot with the LCD in this circumstance, or would you always want no, to No, that would be hard. I think that yeah. would be harder to do because you'd be holding it out, you know, at a distance from you. Right. With yeah, a 300 mil lens on there. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That would be something. Yeah, no good. <laughs> even, yeah. Even, even if you have a gimbal, you know, on a, on a big tripod and a gimbal head, like a Wimberly or something, it, it would still be difficult to shoot using the, the back, um, the back screen. Oh, so yeah. mm, interesting, interesting. Good to learn to shoot with both eyes open. Yeah, that, that would be great. If you can do that, that would definitely be advantageous. Yeah. Yeah. Both eyes open, aperture priority, dial in plus two roughly and, and rock and roll. Right? Yeah. Let it rip. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and learn to focus really well, right? So you're. What about focusing on something like that? Do you you, you focus to infinity or like what do you, what do you do? Um, yeah, you can, but that's not necessarily um, uh, advisable to do because you know as the as, the, uh, as those planes or birds are moving towards you pretty quickly, you're going to have to readjust. And this is where the back button focus comes into play. Um, if you ever yeah. heard of back yeah. button focus, mm-hmm. you know, super important when you have lots of action going on, being able to feather that that focus by pressing the button on and off, depending on where Tell that subject is. Tell us what that is, because some, some people are like, okay, what's back button focus? Well, back button focus is basically moving, you know how most cameras are set up by default, to focus, uh, to enable the autofocus system when you press the shutter halfway, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Back button focus is basically disabling that function in your camera so that the shutter button does not engage the autofocus, but that you engage autofocus deliberately 
by pressing a button on the back of the camera. And you typically control that with a thumb. So now you can control the autofocus independently of your exposure or your shutter actuation going on. So you can much more precisely be are able to control your autofocus. So for example, when you're following a bird or a plane that's moving across, across the sky, you know, sometimes you, you're tracking it, you may not be able to get those center sensors on your on your camera to fall on the subject. And if you if your autofocus is on and the camera loses track of the of the subject, you know what happens, right? That focus you know racks all the way to infinity and then all the way back and you lost your shot completely. Yeah. By being able to feather, if you will, and control that button on the back to engage the focus only when you know those sensors are on your subject, you can more accurately engage the autofocus and help the autofocus help you in a way. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I'm, I'm still trying to train myself. I mean, after decades of using half press, you know, it's, it's training myself to use yeah. the back button because it's so much smarter. You're right. It's so much smarter. You, when you're shooting people like models or whatever, mm-hmm. they're moving, but they're generally in one, you know, one range of motion or depth of field there. So if you focus on them, then you can, you know, instead of every time I press the shutter button, it's going to try to focus. Then I take the and photo. You recompose and, yeah, you recompose exactly. and all that. And, you don't you know, have to do that. Yeah, you just lock, you get the focus and you're happy. And now you start shooting, right? And you start shooting and you can move the camera to left to right. You can recompose. You can, you can compose, you know, without having to worry about where those sensors are, whether the camera's going to pick the wrong subject to focus on or whatnot. It's definitely a lot easier to do, but... You know, I always recommend that people don't do this on a very important shoot. This is not the time yeah. to learn. When you go <laughs> yeah. on a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. trip or you have an important shoot, that's not the time to learn. You know, what I recommend people do is, believe it or not, go to like McDonald's parking lot where you have a bunch of seagulls flying around and practice on those. <laughs> Assuming you live in a coastal area. Right. Otherwise. Well, just, man, you can find those even in, in, inland, but you know, just, that, just those you would know, be confused seagulls. We are very confused, but they do, they do occur. They're um, like, where's the ocean? I yeah. knew it was right. <laughs> but see, I mean, yeah, I mean, practice at home, practice in a safe location. Don't do this in an important shoot. That's not the time to learn because it does take a while to re- like you said, Frederick, to retrain your brain. Yeah. You know, to yeah. use that back button versus using the shutter. And now I'm in the opposite situation. If I grab your camera and it's on the shutter, I mean, I can't make an image. Everything will be out of focus. Yeah, mine's on back up. focus. Mine's on the back button focus right now. But when I first started experimenting, I had some. I had a conversation with someone that was, you know, explaining it much like you did. And after that, I'm like, of course, it makes so much sense. So I, I switched my camera to back button focus, but I didn't switch uh, my the other I have I had two cameras at the time I didn't think, right. switched the other camera and I put the back button focus camera in my camera bag and for some reason I was using the the other camera as my primary and you can imagine what happened mm-hmm. so I had one camera <laughs> with half press and another camera oh with back God. focus yeah so <laughs> yeah and I'm in a stressful model situation where I'm like the photographer and I'm like what is wrong with my camera why is it not focused? yes. <laughs> But the fix, it was an easy fix. I just put it on manual focus until I figured out what was going on. Right. Yeah. So like I said, don't do not do this in an important shoot like that. That's not the time to learn. Just no. practice, practice, no. and practice, you know, in a safe situation and then go on a field. But you'll be surprised. I mean, you'll be amazed. Once you learn how to do this and you do it well, you'll be like, wow, why did I do the other thing for the longest time? 
Yeah, that's true. I feel like that about a lot of things in my life. Joseph, what about, <laughs> what about you, man? Are you half press or back focus? I well, I'm doing just something different. So I was going to throw out another uh, another option here, and, oh, and cool. one I'm curious to know if this is on the Sony cameras because I'm not. Oh, I yeah. don't know Sony's at all. I'm shooting Lumix. Um, so you've got well, well, easy side. You've got face detection autofocus, yes. which I know your, those cameras have, and it's remarkably good. If you're shooting models, a single person at least, not groups of people, but a single person, you're pretty much guaranteed it's going to focus on the face, and yeah. that's pretty awesome. But that's not the thing that I'm that I'm really excited about. What I love doing with the Lumix is, you know, on on pretty much any camera, you can choose to focus on a single point, and then you can use the um, the the joysticks or some mm-hmm. control on the back of the camera to move that focus point around. On the Lumix cameras, you can use the entire touchscreen as a trackpad of sorts. So you are looking through the viewfinder with your thumb on the darkened screen, because you're looking through the viewfinder so the screen is dark, and use that as a trackpad to move that focus point around. And I can move that around and follow my subject much more quickly than the camera will try and figure out what it is I'm focusing on, and always get the focus point exactly where I want it. And then I, the actual focus happens with a half press like normal, because it, I've already put the... the the focus point where I want it. So I half press and off it goes and it's just nails it yeah. all the time. So you have to get used to it. Like so this, it's, it's, it's like a trackpad in a way in the back of the camera. It's exactly what it is. It yeah. is a trackpad on the back of the camera that you can control with your thumb. The, the kind of the biggest thing to get used to is not letting your nose hit the glass. Right. Cause if, if you, it is like a trackpad. If you touch it with two fingers, you can spread, you can um, pinch and zoom. Basically, you can spread your focus point larger or smaller by pinching in and out on the back. And so if your nose touches it and you move your finger across mm. it, it sees that as a spread. So your focus size may change. It just takes a little getting used to it. Don't let your nose hit it. Uh, but once you get used to letting your nose hit it, you have that power to move that focus point around. It's incredible. That's pretty yeah. cool. Now, the Sonys don't have that. Unfortunately, the, the Sonys don't have a touchscreen on the back, which is a big um, you know, a big sort of co- source of contention for a lot of people. I don't necessarily miss the the, the uh, having a touchscreen on the back, but what the Sony's do have is something similar to that, which is a track mode. You know, and it's remarkably good how well it works. You can tell it. You know, I can um, tell it to focus on Frederick, for example, and if Frederick mm-hmm. moves around the frame, the camera will automatically track him. it, no matter where he is on yep. the frame. Even if yep. he turns, it's a pretty amazing how good it does about that. That's cool. Um, so it does have an automatic tracking, but does not have that that tracking mechanism you're talking about, even that trackpad on the back, sounds pretty yep. cool. It is, it is really cool. So back up for a second. Sony's don't have touch screens. They do not. They don't they do have not. touch screens. Don't get me started. I'm trying and to hold my tongue f- You're making fun of Canon <laughs> yeah. for being behind the times? <laughs> they, they don't. I mean, I, say, honestly, you know, I don't I got, miss it. I would not. Even if I had a touch you screen, don't miss it I would turn mine off. I was going to say, I, I, got, I used no, to make no, that you, same, uh-uh. oh, that oh, same no. argument, okay, gotta, one, one in high I school. I got to give you about, crap here, buddy. The same argument about, like, I'm not dating the height, the cutest girl in high school. doesn't matter. You know, I don't miss it. I never had it. No, no. Right. Yeah, but you yeah I, I got to give you crap here, one. I got to call this because no. if you, you know, iPhones came out, all touch screen, touch keyboard. That's the stupidest thing in the world. Who needs that? As soon as you start using it, there's no going hey, back. I, I've, yeah. used, I've used Panasonic and I've used Olympus and I cannot stand the, the touch screen in the back. Part of the reason is, again, because of my left, left eye dominance. It is very hard for me not to touch the back of the screen. My face is covering the entire back of the camera. Um, and if that touch screen is active at all, I'm going to be touching it with my face because of my mm. left eye dominance. Mm. 
So no. Yeah, sure, but as soon as you pick it up to the, unless you have the the trackpad thing I was talking about turned on, as soon as you pick it up to your eye, the controls are going to switch to the EVF, the electronic viewfinder, and mm-hmm. not the back touchpad, and you can touch it all you want. It's not going to do anything. Well, yeah, I guess if you do have that feature, but then you wouldn't be able to use what you talked about, right? Well, that that's one right. feature right. about right. touch. Right. Right. I don't know. right. I don't know. I'm, uh, yeah, touch is, touch is good. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I will tell you, Andy, my co-host on the podcast, that's like, as a matter of fact, I think on this, on today's episode, he had as a wish of the week again for like the 20th time <laughs> out of 25 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd have to agree with him. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to not shoot with a camera that doesn't have a touchscreen on it for me now. You know, just like, just like most, mo- yeah, most, both of my primary cameras have articulated LCDs on them which mm-hmm. is hard for me to shoot with a camera that like at least doing like like you know deep level work not just point and shoot stuff it's hard for me not to have that so i need an articulated lcd and it has to be touch <laughs> in order for me in order for me to feel comfortable these days yeah i mean uh, that that is yeah. definitely one area that sony's are, are falling all back on is but you know what at the same time I'm glad that they don't have a touchscreen because if we had to deal with a touchscreen and the mess of a menu that Sony's have, oh, we'd be in real trouble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, good grief! Don't get me started on that. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, listeners, I hope that that's a, that was a good question for uh, Stuart, Stephen, Stefan. Um, other listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to tackle on the show, just click on the contact us link at the top of the uh, of any page on Twip and select Twip Main Show to submit your question to us. Or if you have a question that you want to ask Joseph for Twip Apps or Juan for Alpha Mirrorless, just select their show, type your question, hit submit, and you know the little secret is it pops up on their phone instantly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so be it nice. It pops up on my iPhone. It's just ping. Oh, oh your watch. Yeah. My watch. Yep. Yeah. My, sorry. Did yep. I say iPhone? said, I, you know, Apple Watch. Sorry. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> that thing. Wait, so you just gave all Twip listeners direct access to Uh-oh. our watches? To all the Thanks, hosts. Buddy. Yes. No. Thanks, buddy. Direct pipeline to the host. So, yeah, you know. But no, with great power comes great responsibility. If they abuse that power, turning that page off is a click away. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll do it. That's true. Just, just ask the Twip forums that no longer exist. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Ugh. All right. Yeah, we, we know that story. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, let's jump into the Picks of the Week segment real quick. Remember, you guys can recommend anything to the TWIP listeners as long as it's related to photography somehow. Wampons, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is this. I don't know if you can you guys see it. This is it's the... like a razor. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Really Right Stuff Pocket Pod Ultra. It's a tiny, tiny little tripod that I use. Um, I carry it in my bag. Um, it's got a, a nice little um, a dovetail... Uh, clamp on top and I use this as a secondary tripod when I'm shooting for example time lapses or anything that requires for my camera to be nice and steady but I don't necessarily need height and it's nice and compact Um, I I love this little tripod and it's got adjustable legs with a couple of different heights that you can use Um, and again just like anything from really right stuff is on the pricey side but it is absolutely top notch I, I feel like, you know, this thing would hold my weight if I stood on it. It's so well built. It's like that. You so. could take it to outer space, huh? 
Almost. Absolutely. So, yeah, I just keep this in my bag and it's there for me to use at any time that I need a, a tripod, even if I'm not carrying my regular tripod. You know, this is something I can use by putting it on a, on a, on a table or, you know, even holding it against the wall to have a nice, secure location and have a steady camera. Um, but I typically use it when I'm shooting kind of more impromptu time lapses um, and I don't want to set up my regular tripod and have it used you know, be busy for a couple hours while that time lapse is being shot. This is kind of like a really small, lightweight second tripod that I can always have with me. And that, that tripod head looks like, is that Arca Swiss on there? Yeah, it's an Arca Swiss on it. And, you know, and it's a full articulated head on the top. So, you know, oh, it's really small and tiny. Um, cool. And it just tightens with a, a lever on it. And that's it. Nice. And how long have you had that thing? Um, I've had it for a little while and it's, um, and it's incredibly useful. This is in the new version of their tripod. They used to have one that didn't have this, these little settings or detents on the, on the legs. They were held by these rubber uh, grips at the bottom. This new one has a couple little detents on it so that you can actually set it at different angles. Um, so much more useful than the original. This is the Pocket Pod Ultra, and the Ultra is what makes those little settings on the legs. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that thing looks like it will last forever. And that's, yes. that's the thing about this kind of gear. You can People are probably thinking, well, you know, $221, I could go to wherever and buy something for about, you know, $200 less than that. But it's going to last that amount of time. That thing, that's probably, I would argue, unless you lose it or abuse it, that's probably the last time you'll buy a tripod like that. <laughs> right? uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I have, I have a, I've had small tripods. I've had many small tripods because I love shooting time lapses. Mm -hmm. And having a small tripod with you is great. But I've never had one this small, this well built. Some of the other ones that I've had, you know, some of the, like the Gorilla Pods, right? You've had, everybody's had Gorilla Pods yeah. at one time or another. I've had so many of those that they've gone, you know, <laughs> into Gorilla Pod heaven a couple of yeah. times. And, um, uh, so this, this, I know this is the last little tripod like this I will ever have to buy. Yeah. There you go. Sometimes you have to learn. It's yep. like buying, buying furniture or buying stuff from Ikea, right? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can buy it 20 times and spend more money or you can buy it once and spend less money. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's great. Perfect. Cool. Well, thanks for that. That's a perfect pick of the week. And Joseph Lenaski, man, what is your pick of the week? I got like a whole bunch because it's been a long time since I've been here. But at some point, you can tell me to shut up. If you want. <laughs> bring it on, All right. man. Bring it on. First one I've got to promote is my own workshop. This is in Oaxaca, Mexico in January of next year. We have just started selling tickets. So just the other day. So this is brand new. So there still are plenty of seats left. Hardly anybody knows about it yet. But if you go to photojoseph.com slash workshops, you can learn all about it. It's January 14th to 22nd in Oaxaca, Mexico. And this is a cultural tourism slash photography workshop it's going to be beautiful and incredible and a whole lot of fun that's and cool i love the culture to tour, cultural tourism spin that's that's what you know uh uh ralph velasco and i that's the spin that we put on these vietnam workshops it's awesome. you know it's it's kind of you know and I, we don't even like the work the word workshop because work it sounds like work right these are <laughs> these are Play cultural shops? experiences that yep. you have guided photography instruction along you know for the ride but there's it's about experiencing the location the food the people making new friends on the trip and with a lot of photography smattered in there so yeah this sounds very similar to that 
Yeah, really looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. That's if you're watching the webpage now. That's uh, my partner in crime, Eric Mindling. He spends half of his year every year down in Oaxaca. That's where he lives half the year, and uh, he is he's been down there doing that for thirty years, I think. And he's the one who's going to be uh, leading the cultural part of this tour. So super excited about that. Very cool. Yeah. So my next one, very small, something I call Photo Joseph's photo moment. So every week morning, every working day morning at 9.30 a.m., I go live on Facebook at facebook.com slash photojoseph for something I call a photo moment. Sometimes they are literally moments, just a couple of minutes long, and I'll talk about anything photography related. It might have to do with a, a workshop. Uh, it might have to do with a, a job that I'm doing, talking about some of the gear I'm using or what we're doing for the shoot. Might be talking about packing gear or talking about a new piece of gear that I bought or talking about some software or some new idea answering user questions could be any number of things and so we do these every day at 9 30 they're free they're live on facebook and i encourage you to please check those out it's a lot of fun that is cool and you're at photo joseph on facebook right that's right photo joseph yeah facebook.com slash photo joseph takes you to that page perfect and then the last one is is tied into these live broadcasts and that is the hardware that i use for that and so i'm gonna for those on camera i'll pull this into view but this thing is made by a company called teradec it is the vdu pro and this is a device that allows me to take any HDMI signal and push it live streaming to any number of destinations, including Facebook Live. And so I will, and when I'm in this room right here, where for those of you that are watching or seeing me, I'm in my recording studio. This is coming out of my big switching system, feeds into that. But then I can just take my GH4 or any camera with an HDMI cable on it and plug it into this and go live from there. It's really slick. It's a little finicky sometimes. It's not a flawless product. It does have its moments, but when it works, it works. I mean, it usually works. It just sometimes takes a little uh, little uh, second start before it really does what it's supposed to. So but is this, is this thing the holy grail? Because I know you've been on this quest. You've been like Frodo on a quest for the ring <laughs> I have for, for no, <laughs> I really have been. <laughs> it's the best thing that I've found. Uh, and I know you can spend a lot more money. This is $1,000. You can spend a lot more than that. You can spend a lot less. And, um, you know, I've looked at, I've used a lot of different software solutions and you get all kinds of sync issues. You get interrupted stream issues. This is the only thing I've worked with that is rock solid with the caveat that it's rock solid once you actually get it going. And if you don't, like I use it for the most part out of my studio, it's hard line, it's hardwired into the ethernet. Um, I just hit go and it goes and it always goes when I do that. But if there's a problem, like let's say it'll, it'll record the stream to an SD card internally. Um, once I had it where I hadn't realized the card was almost full. And so it gave an error that the card was full. Okay, well, forget it. Don't record the card. It said it was streaming and it wasn't. So I did a whole show where I thought it was streaming and it wasn't. So mm. it does weird little glitches like that. But as long as everything goes right, it is it works. It absolutely works. You can also use it. You can connect to Wi-Fi, Ethernet, or you can use your phone as a hotspot. And so you can be anywhere with cell phone service and use this to stream live to whatever streaming service you're using. That's really cool. It's a thousand dollars. So so could you so you basically you pump a camera input into it and it gives you what out like Thunderbolt or what? Well, no, it's streaming to that point. Oh, so you're connected. But to, what's the connection into your computer? So it, HDMI. No, so, this is the computer. There is no computer. Oh, okay. So you're going straight this from this to Facebook. It's not going through exactly. your computer to Facebook. It's Ooh. going from this to Facebook. This to oh. Facebook. What? Yep. That's ridiculous. How come yeah. I didn't know about it's, this thing? <laughs> Thank you for being want to spend because you weren't willing to spend a thousand dollars on this stupid streaming device. That's why. <laughs> that is that is really cool. I had no idea. Very cool. Yeah. All right, and yeah, that's its awesome. job. That's its only job is to stream to yep. what Facebook, Wowza, Livestream, Ustream, YouTube, or Twitch. 
it looks like, right? Yep. Or, and then there's a custom. So when I'm doing my photoapps.expert live trainings, I'm streaming to my site directly, and that's through my own, uh, not my own, but it's through a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a, a, a content provider. Uh, oh, a CDN. 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 That's through a CDN that I pay uh, you know, monthly fee to, and it's completely faceless. It's just a CDN, and I embed that on my site. So you can build your custom, put your custom settings into this. You don't have to use one of their preset platforms. So you can, so you can really stream, stream just to so, pretty just much So I'm clear. So no computer mm-hmm. involved. You nope. can you can configure this thing to stream to your Facebook channel. Yep. Um, so you go on Facebook. You say, "Hey, I'm about to stream live, guys. Come check me out." You crank this thing up, plug your plug your GH4 or whatever camera into it, and say start. You press the red start stop button, and you're online. You're basically you got it. This is your television network. You're streaming to the world from your your awesome mirrorless Micro Four Thirds camera. You got it. You got Along it. with audio? So where, where, where's the audio go? Yeah. Well, it's coming over the HDMI. Oh, it's coming through the HDMI. It actually has an analog audio input as well, mm-hmm. but to keep things in sync, it's usually better to go through the camera. So you'd hook up your microphone to the camera and then do camera HDMI out, and that's going to uh, bring it in. So then you know it's in sync. Brilliant, yep. I tell you. So, and it records it to its internal memory, so you can take the high quality and edit it and replace the stream file later if you want to, right? Right. Well, okay. So yes. In yeah, theory. that was going to be my question. Can you record with this? Yeah, yeah, you can. So it'll. You can either uh, use the internal SD or use the an SD card. It's got a slot for that. Or it also has a USB port. You can plug in a thumb drive and record to that. So you can do either one. Um, it will record at whatever quality you've set it to stream at. So if you're telling it to only stream in SD, that's all it's going to record. Mm-hmm. If you're telling it to stream in HD, that's what it's going to record. So that's fine. So if you're streaming at the highest quality possible, you get a full 1080p. It's like what six megabit or something signal, which is pretty darn good. I mean, that's, you know, for most stuff, that's plenty good. As far as the replacing it goes, though, Facebook does not allow you to replace a live stream file. So you can't do a live stream and then replace it with a higher quality one later. And unfortunately, this is entirely Facebook. This has nothing to do with with the VDU. Facebook, as of... um, beginning of this month, I think, beginning of August, I believe, they started dumbing down all live streams down to SD. They were at 720p, and now they're at 640 or even oh, less. It's, it's awful. I don't know what they – I don't know why they've done this. It's really, really annoying. Uh, and there's no option. It's not like I can pay to stream in HD, which I would gladly do. Oh, As a yeah. professional, I would gladly pay to stream in HD. Because uh, I do pay, you know, when I when I'm using my other CDN, I do pay. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, but but there's no option. It's Facebook. You get what they offer. But as it. far as as far as the the device only recording, whatever, like in this case, you know, sub 720, you can just record directly to the camera, right? So if you're shooting with your GH4, Correct. you can just record 4K or 1080 or whatever to the card inside the camera and also have it outputting to this device, which is going to record mm-hmm. the down version, and then you can make your decision on how to post-process later, right? Exactly, and that is usually what I do. I don't record straight into the camera. I've got other recording devices in here, but that is usually what I'll do. So the, the stream will pass. Um, let's say I'm doing it in the field. The stream will pass from the camera into the Ninja Assassin and then from the Ninja to the VDU. And the Ninja will capture it at full HD or 4K, whatever I want. And then the um, uh, the video will stream out the HD. Love it. Love it. Cool. 
Spending my money, man. Spending my money. <laughs> I know. I know. But thanks, thanks, Canary in the Coal Mine. I appreciate that. Hey, hey, come, <laughs> come spend a weekend up here, buddy. You'll. Uh, oh, I know, man. Into his bank account. <laughs> uh, totally, totally. All right, uh, I have a couple picks of the week as well before we wrap up the show. Uh, I think I've been mentioning on the show that I'm going to be heading to Out of New York, the Out of New York conference, coming up October 14th to 24th through uh, 15th this year, 2016. Um, This is put on by the same folks that put out the Out of Chicago conference. Chris Smith and his amazing team are putting this thing on, and I'm leading a bunch of workshops there and some photo walks and, you know, drinks and all kinds of crazy stuff. So come hang out with myself. And who else is going to be there, Juan Pons? Well, I'm going to be there. Our friend Rick Salmon's going to be there. There's a bunch of bunch of really cool people. And you and I are doing something together. I'm in a panel that you're going to do on uh, gear and equipment, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so we're going to do a panel on gear and equipment. And we're also doing something different this year. You may not know about this yet, Juan Pons. Oh, what's that? S- so I am going to let me stop the screen share. I am uh, Chris and I were talking about ways to make things even better for people that may not know how to shoot and where to shoot in New York City. So we're going to do the opening session as a kind of twip style interview with native New York speakers like, you know, Lindsay Adler, Rick Salmon. Those folks will be on cool. the panel, people that are from New York. I'm going to put them on the hot seat, and they're going to give us the do's and don'ts for shooting in New York, where to go, where not to go, how to act, you know, which street fenders to avoid, you know. (laughs) Don't have the red hot dogs. (laughs) Yeah, if your burger or your hot dog has whiskers in it, don't eat it. it. (laughs) So stuff like that. It's going to be a a good time. So that's coming up. And also I'm heading to Vietnam, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, heading to Vietnam again. I'm taking a group of 12 people out there. Um, I think we're departing on the 26th, I believe, 26th or 27th of November for 12 days. We're going to be out there hanging out. Um, a, and Joseph Lenaski, guess who's going? Who's going? Tom Curley is on the list. Oh, he, I did hear that. That's awesome. That's <laughs> Tom be Curley, fun. our friend Tom Curley's going. So yeah, awesome. it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. Lots of cool people are gonna go hang out, and like I said, this much like your your tour to Mexico, Joseph. This is a, more of a cultural experience around several cities in Vietnam. So we're gonna be bouncing nice. from city to city on planes. Um, we're on buses. We're floating around, floating around, um, you know, on boats in the middle of it. Nice. It's just it's it's a James Bond type adventure <laughs> that we're going on. You're not, you're not taking any trains, are you? I don't think we're taking trains, but yeah, I am bringing a drone. Off the trains in so Vietnam. Take off, the, stay off the trains in Vietnam, man. This yeah. is scary. Yeah, I haven't been on a train in Vietnam. I've been. Don't, don't, but check this out. Don't. You want to talk about scary? Have you seen the scooter situation in Vietnam? Of course. I've ridden a scooter in that. I was oh, one of the I was one of the blood vessels in that blood flow. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And I yeah, love to, uh, I love to talk an about it. Place. And I did it with a passenger on the scooter. I was riding and I had a passenger on the back. So yeah, so well, they're I holding a carton of goods. That's the thing. You gotta have make sure you're they're holding like twenty pounds of stuff, you know, on their side. Oh, as well. tell me about it. Oh, tell yeah. me about and it. And transporting yeah. a family of six. Right, you're doing that. You got nothing. <laughs> a family of six, you know, an ox, you know, yeah. several several pounds of goods and a computer and all that stuff. Yeah, on a, on a little tiny scooter. Yeah, that Pretty was much. that was one of the, the the things that shocked me the most when I went to Vietnam last year was this scooter situation. It's just. 
it's almost indescribable how many scooters are on the road at any given time there. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It is crazy. Cool, guys. All right. We are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. We will put your guys, put your links in the in the notes so people can find your workshops, your pages, Joseph's photo moments, feed that's low resolution, all that stuff. We will. <laughs> 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 Joseph paid a thousand dollars for for Mark Zuckerberg for, for to downsample three twenty p streaming connection exactly. There you Joseph, go. You got Joseph it. you're future proofed. You're you're future proof, man. You're good. Don't worry. As soon as he ups that res, you're gonna be there. Don't worry about it. All right, guys uh, and Twip listeners, be sure to vis- visit our Twip School. It's at twipschool dot com you can check out the website if you're not there right now at thisweekinphoto.com you can subscribe to our other shows two of our hosts are on this episode mr juan pons who is a co-host on the amazing alpha mirrorless show which is crushing it juan i know you got your your uh, your stats yesterday you must be dancing on the ceiling yeah things and are things are good doing good so we're happy things are, things are looking up joseph lenaski as well with twip apps crushing the app verse right yeah, it's been fun, man. It's been a fun podcast to do. Yeah, yeah, it is awesome, and you do it well. You, you've got uh, you've got the Starship Enterprise over there putting <laughs> stuff together. JJ <laughs> Abrams Enterprise. Let's put it that JJ <laughs> Abrams. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, All right, guys, and uh, also listeners, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, etc., and like, comment, and subscribe accordingly. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.